Welcome to the Pat Loss Companion. I'm Ken Dolan Del Vecchio. I'm here with my friend and co-author, Nancy Saxton Lopez. This is a program that we do live every Thursday from 6 p.m. Eastern to about 6.30, give or take. And it's an opportunity to share with you some of the, the learning that we gathered over many years of facilitating pet loss groups. Nancy actually facilitated pet loss groups for 30 plus years. I did it for about 11 after she invited me in. We put together a book called The Pet Loss Companion, Healing Advice from Family Therapists Who Lead Pet Loss Groups. And this broadcast, this podcast allows us to bring that work forward and bring it to a larger group and to have a discussion with you, an open discussion with you. And a lot of what we do is we share stories that we've gotten from audience members. Mm -hmm. And this way we, we can help people to really see themselves and their stories reflected in the accounts that other people give. We, we understand that this is very helpful for many, many people. And so we're going to, we're going to share a story today. And, and we think that there's a, there's a lot of, there's a lot of content in this, not only the story of loss, but also some recommendations for activities that may be healing and have been healing for this person. So we'll get to that in just a minute. In order to get in touch with us, you can reach me at Ken DDV at gmail.com. You can reach Nancy at N Saxton Lopez. That's N S A X. T-O-N-L-O-P-E-Z at csmpc.com. And if you send us a story and you are okay with us sharing it on our program, please let us know that. And if you send us a story and you're not okay with us sharing it, we will please respond tell us to that you. Also. Tell us that. We'll respond to you through email. You can also leave a voicemail as well. And you can see how to do that on the on the description for the program. You can support us through a Venmo gift. You can support us through a PayPal gift. You can support us through a subscription. If you, if you're so inclined, a monthly subscription, you don't need to support us. We do this as a labor of love and, Mm -hmm. and trying to extend a network of support. But of course that's, that's always appreciated. We'd also like you to know that this program is a friend of the Dakin Humane Society, which is in Springfield, Massachusetts. You can learn more about Dakin at D-A-K-I-N-H-U-M-A-N-E dot org. There's more in the description that is attached to this program as well. Also like you to know that I facilitate a cost-free Zoom mm-hmm. pet loss support group from 6 p.m. Eastern to 7.30 p.m. Eastern every second Tuesday of the month. And you can RSVP for that at the DakinHumane.org site. You just go there. There's actually a link to the actual page where you would RSVP in the description, but you could also just go to DakinHumane slash programs and you'll see pet loss support. So Nancy, want to get us started? Yeah, I mean, I also want, I was thinking as you were doing the introduction that a lot of the stories, emails that have come into us, uh, a lot of them say, wow, it was really good to hear your podcasts of other stories. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, you know, we all know that writing it out is really helpful, you know, for for people who are grieving. 
and then to turn around and, and people get something out of that and then they can write their own story. Yep. And so tonight we have an amazing story um, from a woman named Stephanie and um, Malkia, I think I'm saying that right, is, is her wonderful dog that has passed on. Um, and I'm going, it's, it's, a, it's a very long, detailed, heartwarming, heartbreaking story especially in the beginning when I'm going to read the beginning of the story of Melchia and Stephanie. Ken's going to take up where she has started to really do some self-reflection and going through the grieving process and what she's learned. So um, I'm going to start. Um, it's taken a long time, like many of your guests, to get to a place where I could write this. It's almost three months since my beautiful soulmate and heart dog, Malkia, passed away. There's been barely a minute since she left that I haven't felt crushed by the weight of grief, guilt, sadness, remorse, and constant loneliness. I tried to write a short note, but decided to pour it all out. You're welcome to share as much or as little as you would like with your listeners. Malkia came bounding into my life as a 10-week-old puppy in Kenya, a stunningly beautiful, cheeky, and unbelievably smart black German shepherd with hints of golden brown and the most gorgeous expressive face you'll ever see. And she did. Have, <laughs> she said have pictures, pictures. And that is all validated by the pictures. <laughs> yes. Her name, Malkia, means queen in Swahil, Swahili, and she was definitely a demanding, gorgeous wee princess. The first puppy training class at 12 weeks, the trainer watched her for two minutes and said, you have a lot of dog right there. She's going to run <laughs> rings around you. And that she did. People would stop me in the street to comment on her beauty, and everyone who met her was blown away by how clever, communicative, and adorable she was. Despite her lovely nature and love of cuddles, she was also fiercely protective and had a natural aggressive streak when she was protecting her home or her mummy. She wasn't always the easiest of dogs to manage with a strong will and a firm lease leash pull, she made walks entertaining to say the least. We had a wonderful eight years together, firstly with me and her human dad in Kenya, and then to London. When I split from my partner, we traveled to New Zealand, and she lived with my mom for six months while I set up a new home in Australia. She was an adored and spoiled grandchild exploring the beach, the river, parks, and even stole an, a tray of 30 salmon bellinis from the kitchen when her gran was welcoming guests for a dinner party. Wow. She would never have stolen food from her, but she fell in love with her gran, and they had the sweetest bond. Until the day she died, gran was one of the words that would make her little head tilt faster than saying chicken. From Australia, we moved to Singapore for a new job. 
And here she continued to make friends and have everyone fall in love with her. She was the most loyal companion, traveling with me literally across the world in five countries, waiting for me while I worked often long days on the computer or the office, spending frosty mornings walking into Hyde Park in London or swimming at the beach in Melbourne. She was my sole companion every single day for the two years in Singapore, where we endured some of the world's strictest COVID lockdowns, including not being allowed outside more than once a day or to leave or re-enter the country. She was my baby alone, and as a single woman, she wasn't just my dog, she was my partner, my companion, my flatmate, my soulmate, and my best friend. She took up every minute of my free time. She was always on my mind. And for the better part of our eight years, um, I made life decisions, boyfriends, jobs, houses, based on what was best for her. She gave me meaning and purpose and kept me busy. Now I'm just a single 40-year-old woman who lives alone. To lose her three months ago is like having my whole body ripped in half. It started with a bit of blood in her ear and a cough, which the vet casually dismissed as kennel cough, and a small hematoma in her ear. A few days later, I made the fatal error of going away for the weekend and leaving her with reliable sitters. On the Friday, I left. My gut knew something was wrong, and for this, I've spent every waking moment reliving the multitude of decisions I made. Knowing she'd been seen by the vet and given antibiotics, I thought she'd be okay. So I took my mother on a short road trip. She worsened over the weekend, but the sitters didn't take her to the vet until Sunday afternoon. I feel a small bit of anger, but mostly confusion at why they didn't see how sick she was becoming, panting and not eating. It would have been so simple to do a quick trip to the vet to double check, but they didn't. I got the call as we were driving back on Sunday to say that her lung x-ray showed a complete whiteout. Her lungs were full of something, and she was very, very ill. That phone call was the beginning of the end and the worst two weeks of my life. They did a tracheal wash of her lungs to send to the lab, telling me she might not live through the anesthetic to do it, and found her lungs full of blood. I was told she was dry drowning, meaning that she was bleeding so much into her lungs she would either drown or bleed to death. Then they loaded her with antibiotics, and I raced around trying to find a blood donor as her platelets and red cells dropped to almost zero. There's no blood bank in Singapore, so I had to ask for volunteers and do the cross-matching via Facebook. Those first few days were a blur of vets thinking she had eaten rat poison, had tick fever, fungal or bacterial lung infections, or even cancer. They just didn't know. They had said the lab results would take at least five days to come back, and to this day I don't know why it took so long. I couldn't eat or sleep that week, and by the time the lab results arrived six days later, I was told that she had an E. coli infection in her lungs, and the three different antibiotics she'd been getting all week were all resistant and had not been working, so she needed new ones. After three days on the right meds, they said I could take her home, although not fully stable, as she was getting a bit grumpy and snappy and might eat and rest better with me. 
I was not 100% sure, but I was definitely tired doing all the conversations and decisions on my own. And all I wanted was my wee girl back with me on her own bed in a nice, quiet home to rest. This is one of the decisions I regret hugely and feel frustrated with the vets about. She clearly wasn't ready and should have had more time on the right IV antibiotics instead of coming home on oral meds, which she did not want to take. After just 36 hours at home, she was in a bad way, and I rushed her back. Another blood transfusion saw her peak up momentarily before she got weaker and weaker. I simply don't know what happened other than the infection was just too severe. She was too weak after two weeks in the hospital, being pumped full of too many drugs, and had lost far too much weight. On the Saturday morning, 13 days after she was admitted, they sent her home with me to spend a few days together, knowing that she needed a miracle to make it, and most likely wouldn't. I was so desperate again just to get her out of the noisy, bright vets, and so I brought her home on a Saturday around lunchtime and set her up in my living room with everything she needed to be comfortable. She wasn't great, but she seemed stable enough. I spoke to my mom in New Zealand and told her not to worry. She's not going to die tonight, I said. I hung up and helped her go outside to pee. She immediately collapsed on the grass and looked like she wanted to die right there. I got her back inside and started calling the vet to have someone come and put her to sleep as she was struggling to breathe. She was panicked, looking at me with big, terrified eyes, knowing something awful was happening. It happened so quickly, and yet my heart breaks for her because it was at least two hours of her dry drowning. She must have suddenly started bleeding heavily, and she was in so much pain and distress. I tried to make her comfortable and called about eight emergency vets. None could make it, and she was too weak to transport. Eventually, my vet agreed to send someone in about 45 minutes. But as soon as I hung up the phone and said to my friend, the vet will come after his shift and put her to sleep, she took two ragged, deep, death-rattle-type breaths and stopped breathing. I put my hand on her little heart, and it kept beating for a minute more, and then stopped. She was so clever. I honestly believe she heard me say that the vet was coming, and she chose to go on her own. The timing was undeniable. At 8.45 p.m. on Saturday, the 21st of May, my whole world splintered beyond recognition, and I felt like the earth slipped its axis. In those last minutes, I was stroking her, telling her, Mommy loves you, Daddy loves you, Gran loves you, you can go, it's okay, you can go. And when she breathed her last, after two weeks of raged, rapid breathing, where she didn't have a moment's rest or relaxed breathing, I was, of course, relieved that her suffering came to an end, but the nightmare for me began. Like all of your stories, I've relived those two weeks and the and the days before she got sick in excruciating detail. Every decision, every missed opportunity, every conversation, every action. The day after she died, I was horrified at how sick and thin she was at the end. She'd been struggling to breathe for literally two weeks, and I'd let her suffering continue. I looked back over it and still can't fathom how she managed to live for two weeks in that state. About a week after she died, I found your podcast, which saved me. It felt like someone understood, finally, and all the shame and guilt in my head had somewhere to go. 
In those early days, I kept a list of things you said that really helped, and especially accepting that while I couldn't have, I could have, would have, and should have saved her, we didn't. And while I do believe in her case that mistakes were made and different decisions might have saved her, your words have helped me. Hold on a minute. Sorry about that. Um, your words have helped me accept the endless questioning won't bring her back and just prolongs unnecessary blame and sadness and grief. Okay, so I'll continue. Some of the phrases I wanted to share back with your listeners as I wrote them down and I remind myself all the time. Grief is love with nowhere to go. The size of your grief shows the size of your love. I am human and I have limits. We all make mistakes and we simply cannot control the universe and the things that happen, although we think we can. We don't perfectly monitor everything that happens around us all the time. We make judgments with enormous time pressure and stress. We don't know everything. I can't fix everything and I can't see the future. Like your listeners, I felt that I will never recover from this. So I'm still holding both you and Nancy to your promise that it gets better. And that is in fact our promise. <laughs> in the first days and weeks, I didn't see a way out. I didn't want to be in a world without her. I didn't know what to do with myself when my days had always been totally structured around her from the first morning tummy rub to the bedtime teeth brush and snack and every second in between. For a long time, I would forget she wasn't there and I'd get that gnawing anxiety went out that it was time to get home to walk or feed and then realize it wasn't. Or moving my chair, rustling a plastic bag or opening a door and not having her arrive at my feet to inspect what was happening. I still sometimes try to be quiet at night as not to wake or disturb her. I tried to give away just a few non-sentimental things. I offered her kibble to her friend, but when he went to take the plastic container it was in, I broke down and said he could have the food, but not the gaudy green plastic container that was hers and lived in my kitchen. I questioned every decision. I relived every moment. I cried constantly and I lost five kilograms from not eating. Every single thing in the house, the city, Everything I saw reminded me of my loss. So I was very fortunate to go away to Switzerland for a month and break the routine. I spent much of it hiking in the mountains, listening to your podcast. I couldn't listen to music in the house or watch TV. These things distracted me from my grief, and I wanted to always have my mind on her and what had happened. I had to chew on it constantly, as you've described. But somehow I was able to give it over to the two of you. I found it really calming and reassuring, listening to you both and to the stories from others. It's like I could put the onus or weight of grief onto you just for a minute and let you hold it for me in that moment. I'd either actively listen or in moments of despair when I was spiraling, I'd put it on in the background and then somehow I could function, like make some food or do laundry, knowing that you were there and we were still sad, but I was free to function for a moment. 
as well as giving me a break from my churning thoughts, the podcasts have literally taken the thoughts and words out of my mouth. I never would have believed that anyone was feeling the pain that I'm feeling. I loved her the most and no one could possibly understand, except you all do. I realize it's not a competition and unfortunately there's plenty of grief to go around. Everything you and your listeners have shared has resonated. Things like dropping food on the floor and having to pick it up myself for the first time in eight years or planning a trip away and thinking I'd better not go too many nights as I don't want to be away from her and then realizing that's not the case anymore. If it's helpful to other, others, there's a few things I've learned through the process. Do what works for you and also do what others tell you works, even if you're not sure or you don't believe it. I keep telling myself, it's like going to the gym. You don't always enjoy it and you definitely don't see results immediately. But one day, a month from now, you might wake up and just feel a bit better. Writing with a pen and paper helped a lot. <laughs> it's not always about Malkia or her death or my feelings. Sometimes I write things like, it's a nice day and the waitress remembered my coffee order. And this nonsense just clears my head and brings me a little peace. It's interesting, just sort of getting focused in the moment, it sounds like. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I can't even read my messy scrawl, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't always feel better straight away. But when I go to bed after a day where I don't write, I realize things have been circling in my head all day. And I know I missed an important part of my healing process. Sometimes I feel myself going down into a terrible, dark rabbit hole of unhelpful thoughts. And I literally just grab a pen and start writing. I still cry and feel awful, but it gets it out and I eventually calm down. I also find it nice to just gently fold the writing up and pop it in a rubbish bin. I've kept the letters that I've written to her, but the daily scribbles are just that and throwing them away helps immensely. It's like a clean start to the day. Walking helped, even though initially it felt pointless without my companion, who just goes for walks alone. <laughs> she has two question marks and a smiley face. <laughs> and listening to podcasts and giving yourself over, letting someone else grieve for you helps. Rituals like having a beautiful painting made for next to her urn and lighting a candle each night. It doesn't have to be spiritual, but it's routine. And taking this action is another way to honor her without having to constantly grieve in my head. I say hello and goodbye and good morning to her urn. And it gets a fair share of kisses too. I also worked out that we had 3,035 days together. And while the last 14 were truly horrific, and I'm sure that some were boring for her when I worked nonstop, that probably the vast majority were pretty great. Like Funk's owners, in the months before her death, I was so busy with work, I must have said, on your bed, a thousand times. I would literally cut a hand off to have five minutes more with her, to cuddle her and pay attention to her instead of my emails. But I can't. And much as I don't want to learn anything from this, I just want her back. I know there's a lesson for all of us about being present and being in the moment and showing love to those we adore. What hasn't helped is walking friends' dogs or taking in a foster. I'm currently looking after a very old street dog for two weeks post-surgery. And while I'm showing him kindness and care and love, I'm not really enjoying it. It's hard work 
And I naively hadn't realized that hard work for something or someone you don't love just isn't the same. It feels empty and a bit pointless. He's just not my baby. I don't want to kiss or cuddle him. And while I absolutely knew he wouldn't replace Malkia, I thought a two-week distraction and some dog routine would help. It doesn't. It's probably what's making me sad again. Spending time and effort with him doesn't make me miss her any less. As the raw grief subsides, the disbelief doesn't. Like Blaze's owner, I still can't believe she didn't make it. She was only eight. We did everything. We both fought so hard. And she had always been a fighter. She had had her share of health problems like German Shepherds do. But I was such an amazing mother. She had every medication, alternate treatment, supplement, hydrotherapy, massages, accessory toys, training, doggy cams, daycare, sitters, special treats, and endless love. You name it. She had it her whole life. We went to the vet for every hiccup, and I doted on her constantly. And I was educated on her needs and her conditions, and I was conscientious. So how did this happen to us? After eight years of almost obsessing, obsessive mothering, how did I drop the ball so spectacularly? Of course, in fact, she didn't. Exactly, at all. Okay. <laughs> I knew that first Tuesday vet wasn't great, and my gut told me she wasn't well. Any other time, I would have taken her straight back. The series of events and a few small but serious vet mistakes, which I won't go into, that led to her, her death are so bizarre that the only thing I really believe is that the universe conspired against me. I'm not particularly spiritual or superstitious, but I simply cannot understand how the thousand things that had to go wrong in order for her to die did. No one thing that I had the power, the, the power to change went my way. This happens to other people, not to me. Not someone who put their dog's needs above her own and made life choices based on her dog's happiness. What prompted me to write today is your recent episode on when grief returns. Somewhat smugly, last month, I listened to a few episodes where your listeners write about still being sad months or years later. And I thought to myself, even though I feel awful right now, I'll do the work, I'll get better. And while I will still be sad in a year, I will learn to live with the grief and live alongside it, as you so beautifully described. And for a few weeks, I was starting to feel just a bit better. I could even say to a few people, my dog passed without melting into a weeping mess on the floor. I even planned a weekend away without feeling too guilty. And then yesterday, out of nowhere, bam, I felt like I'm back at week one. I cried at work twice, came home and cried all night, felt very low this morning with all the questions back circling in my head. Why did I go away? Why did the vet send her home? Why, why, why? And so the healing continues, I guess, and I'm not quite out of the woods yet. A few lessons I've learned through this process that might be helpful for those listeners with other pets or will one day get a new one. Trust your instincts. Always ask for a second or third opinion at the vets and don't be afraid to ask and challenge politely. Find someone to support or advocate for you if you're managing a sick pet alone so that you're confident in your decisions and you can talk them through. I was so tired and stressed that I did a few things before she died that make no sense to me now. And I can only try to be kind to myself by realizing that I was out of my mind with worry and exhaustion. 
And to those that face the decision of euthanasia or feel guilt having gone through with it, as so often is spoken of on your podcast, I wanted to say, please know that you gave your pet a peaceful, respectful end, one that will that they would have wanted and preferred to being in pain or suffering. Malkia's final hours in pain and distress, her little face so full of worry and confusion, haunts me still today and will stay with me forever. I was her mummy. I would have fought off a bear for her. It was my one job to keep her safe and well. I would have given anything to get a vet there in time to ease her suffering. I know it must be the hardest decision for people to make, and I've heard so many stories of people full of guilt at putting their pets to sleep, but I promise you that watching your pet suffer is a million times worse. Please take comfort in knowing that they slipped off in the best way possible, and while making that decision was hard for you, it was the most wonderful ending you could have offered them. Don't leave it too late. So it brings me full circle to say thank you again. Every time I needed comfort, you've been there and you literally have all the words I need, everything I'm thinking and feeling. And I truly don't know how I would have gotten through these three months without the love and advice you share. The funny thing I'm feeling that I haven't heard you talk about, although it's probably magical thinking, which you do touch on, is the weird thought I often have Can I have her back now? I've cried. I've lost weight. I've aged. I look terrible. I pulled myself together. I'm back at work. I've done the grief work. I'm doing the writing. I've started meditating. Okay, I feel better. So can I have her back now? Is it over now? I hit rock bottom and I clawed my way back. So is it over, please? It's really odd. Of course, I know the answer is no, but I do have this funny thought process I thought I'd share, like I worked so hard to get through it and come out the other side. And then you realize there is no other side. She's still gone and always will be. I know she lives on in my heart and mind. Watching videos of her makes me laugh and cry and telling stories about how cheeky and clever she was makes me so proud and honored to have been her mummy. All my colleagues know and loved her because she'd hear from my tone while I was rapping a video conference and she'd come over and try to get onto my lap while the call was finishing as if to say, okay, time for me now. I know she loved me more than anything and her little head tilted whenever I spoke to her as she listened attentively. She knew hundreds of words, but I loved the way she looked when I would say, mommy loves you. Her face would light up, her little ears would pin back, her eyes would sparkle and her tail would thump. She would tiptoe into the bedroom in the morning and I'd pretend to be asleep, but she knew. And the tail would start up and her little face would pop up onto the bed. Whenever we were, wherever, whenever we were, she watched and guarded me, wherever we were, I'm sure she meant, and guarded me 24 seven. And her big brown eyes bore into my heart and soul forever. Thanks for reading and for being there. The work you do cannot be underestimated for the healing you give people when we are at our absolute darkest, bringing a little light to show us the way through with gratitude, Stephanie. And here is (laughs) Malkia. Malkia. What a beautiful beautiful. baby. So she was in the water. So much there. Let's spend a few minutes talking about, about this. So, so very much there. And, and, 
I would like to, first of all, we want to thank Stephanie for oh my God, so yes. amazingly thank generous. Thank you so much for and writing so such much. a yeah, thoughtful and and self-inspected uh, and have all these kind of really interesting things that um, you shared in being uh, Malkia's mummy and the human-animal bond that you had and the, the the guilt and the other difficult emotions that came with her death and how you're still trying to survive the guilt. And this thought of, okay, I, I've had That's enough. Can I have her back now? Mm -hmm. Is so wonderfully stated. And it is the part, it's, it's at the heart of grief, this irrational, mm -hmm. this irrationality that we all have, that we just so desperately need them to be with us. Yes. And can we please have them back? Can we, we please want them, have back. them back? And I'm so grateful that you articulated that. I have not heard that stated directly, but we hear it in the themes that mm -hmm. people share. They all, always, they all bring. Always. It's mm -hmm. always, and, and it, it might be called in the language of, um, who is the theorist, the Swiss theorist, whose model is sort of the foundational model for, for grief? And oh, you know, wanna, <laughs> we'll have to remember that, we'll for, remember next that for next we'll, time. We'll look it but, up. But it is, it is this idea of bargaining. That mm -hmm. if, I, if, if I can only That's have right. them back, if I can only have them back. I'll do this if I can get it back. And, and, and we can't. No. And of course, Stephanie comes back to that. Yeah. But it's so wonderfully stated that that's just at the core of of all of this. Is there ever an end to this? Will they ever come back? And unfortunately, they they won't. But here you have somebody who did, as so many people who we've spoken with, everything and then some, were clearly giving their all to care for Absolutely. this wonderful animal friend. And still, it's so complicated. The kind well, of and because you you, you struggled with you never want them to die, right? I mean, that comes back to what we were just talking about. That it, we I did all the work now. I want her back, and we, the the problem is in the context of our relationships with our companion animals is that they don't live as long as we do. And, and I mean, it, it, that's something that we don't think about necessarily when we bring the puppy or the kitty or whatever home, or whomever home. But ultimately, you know, unfortunately, they just don't live as long as we do. And the integration, she's trying to get that integration of of the loss into her, right? I mean, she's starting that process. I do get up. I do get to my wonder. I do go to work. I do, but it doesn't feel right yet. It just doesn't feel good. No, and it's it's still early. And and the the theorist is Elizabeth Kubler Ross. Ah, it came okay. to me. Her Thank model you. for grieving is is one of the the first most complete, I guess you'd say, models. 
and there's many ways you can expand upon it and and we've talked about that but but part of her model is this idea of bargaining mm -hmm. and we do that we do that and and for stephanie this is not a long time so far it's three months i believe and so it's for still many very people, very new very fresh for many people that's that's not long at all no and she is doing well and mm -hmm. she's doing all the right things She's and, putting one foot in front of the other. Yeah. Just like and, we talked about. And the writing is is something that's really helping yeah. her. Yeah. And I, I loved what she said that she'll write things that happened that day and then she'll discard them. Yeah. And and what I what I see in that is that I I write it down, I get it out of myself, I can take a look at it, and then I can let go of it. Yeah, and, and some, move of this, some of this, some of this effort to get things out of ourselves, and many people will do that through writing. Some people will do that through making brief recordings. They're all different. Or doing do other creative work. endeavors, right? Doing, but you want to get it out. We talk about also moving the feelings out of you, so they're yeah. not so overwhelming and ruminating inside. And so I think that that's a really wonderful ritual to do. Yeah. Write things down. Okay. And I can put them down and put them away or discard them. And then the next day starts. Yeah. You know, and you do that. Mm -hmm. And and so so much of what Stephanie said resonates with what we hear. I mean, one of the things she said early on in her letter was she gave me meaning and purpose. Mm -hmm. And that's very much the case for most of us that are oh, animals, most animals add meaning and purpose to our lives. It's a very, very rich connection. And Nancy, as you said, one of the things I'm trying to do with my, with my new animal companions is to keep in mind that their lives are very short. Yeah. It's very hard to do, but it's, and, and you know what, one of the things I do as well, as I think about that, and they're both of my, my dogs are now, one year old. I just I just adopted another one, as you know, a couple <laughs> days ago actually. Little Annie. Little Annie. And and I say to myself and I when I'm putting them to bed generally, I say to myself, or getting them up in the morning, I say, you know, they are so precious. They're with yeah. us for such a very short, short time. time. And then I say to myself, my own life is very short. And that's right. We all know that as short. years go by. <laughs> yeah, our time here is very short. It just happens to be Nancy's birthday today. Happy yes, birthday. Yes, and it's, it's a very large number that we're not going to discuss. <laughs> we're not going to say. <laughs> but but it's, it goes by fast for them, and it goes by fast for us, too. And so everything we can do to savor the time. All those we moments. Can do. Right. Right. And then at the same time, as, as Stephanie talked about, and she talked about others, really captured some of the other stories, yes. some of the key points and some of the other stories that we've shared. It's, we can't do it all the time. We're, no. we're busy, we're stressed, yeah. we're doing our work. And so we tell them on the bed, on the bed, or we tell them place to go to their place, or we, we just have to lock them in a room where they have a bed and they have things to play with, but they're not exactly with us because we have to do other things. We have to work. We have to take care of children. We have to take care of elders. We have to do whatever we have to do that yeah. is also sustaining of our lives. Mm -hmm. And we have to be kind to ourselves and recognizing that life has many components. Yeah. 
And we can't spend every waking moment devoted to the care of our beloved animal companions. And when they leave us, we need to remind ourselves Mm -hmm. of that reality, that that's just part of the reality of living. That's how we live. Yeah. But um, yes, I think that we can probably, can you and I take a lot more from this and maybe we can expand on this next week. Maybe so. Yeah, maybe so. Because there's so much here, and we we started to touch on it, um, but uh, again, we do want to thank Stephanie. We want to and- thank you, Stephanie, for this. It's it's a it's a labor of love and generosity, and we mm-hmm. greatly appreciate it. And I think our our other listeners will too. I I'm sure they will. So send us your reactions. Yes, the, that would be nice. We'd like to hear from people. Send us what you think of the recommendations that Stephanie and other people have given. Let us know how this stuff resonates with your own experiences. We're always, mm-hmm. we're always grateful to hear, and we know that other people benefit if you're willing to share with them, as Stephanie Absolutely. has so, so freely shared. So yeah. great to see you, Nancy, as always, and we'll say good night for now. Take care.